Section 8 of Life and Sings of Mrs. Partington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington and Others of the Family by B. P. Schillebert. Section 8 Letter from Ike in the Country Hilltop, September 10th, 1852 Dear Bob, I wish you was up here, and the way we would train you wouldn't be slow. There is boys enough up here, but they don't know nothing. When I first come, they didn't know how to play jackstones. But you better believe I soon made em fly round. I've found enough to do since I've been here. We've got a boat, and we go out swimming every day. The boat tips ever so easy, and don't you think, the other day, when we were out with the girls, we tipped over right where the water was overhead, and we all had to get on to her bottom. I wasn't at all scared, though everybody said they know they did it on purpose, but you know I wouldn't. We've had some prime fun out a gunning. We didn't kill anything, only some tame pigeons, but we put some green beans in the gun and shot the dog, and he kee-heed just as if he didn't like it. I can fire at a mark first rate. I wish you could see the goose I made with the wheel grease on the newly painted barn door, its peppered brim full of holes. There's lots of apples and peaches, and if you was here we'd be in among em. There's some over in there in the pasture, just like some in our garden, but them in the pastures is best, and they belong to the old captain, and he's a cross old fellow, and I should like to fix him, cause he set his dog on me the other day because i fired an apple at one of his hens and broke a square of glass he's a real cross old chap and hasn't got no friends there's some fine ponds here and lots of mud turtles but all that is humbug about their leaving their shell when you put a coal of fire onto their backs because i've tried it it makes em go it though i tell you our dog is first rate for catching of him and I got a dozen of them the other day to bring home and put em in a barrel and forgot all about em, and there they stayed for ten days. I put em in the water again, and away they went. Don't you think, Bob, I caught a big bull paddock and harnessed him the other day, and you should have seen him kick when I let him go. I don't like the oxen they have here, because they don't laugh, and when they are hauling anything they seem to do it unwilling-like, and look surly and cross. Reasoning with them don't do no good. I ride the horse to water and drive the geese out of the corn. Up in the corn yesterday I found what I thought was a great big watermelon, and when I got over the wall and cut it, it turned out to be a green pumpkin. They have begun to make sweet cider, and I don't see what people ever want to make sour cider for when this is so nice. I suppose school will begin soon and the old woman will want me to come home, but I don't want to a mite. Tell Jim Jones I swapped my jackknife and got a brand new hockey and that I cut myself in the bushes. Goodbye, Bob. Write to me if you've had any fun this summer, and I'm yours in Clover. Ike Partington. Out of place. Does your arm pain you much, sir? asked a young lady of a gentleman who had seated himself near her in a mixed assembly and thrown his arm across the back of her chair and slightly touched her neck. No, miss, it does not. But why do you ask? I noticed it was considerably out of place, sir, replied she that's all the arm was removed tender names there are people in the romantic period of their lives who delight in bestowing tender terms upon objects of their affection borrowed from the pretty things of nature or fancy 
such as my rosebud my pink my diamond my lily or some such nice and delicate name of all that we have ever heard however the irish term my bloomer sounds to us the best these terms are well enough when used in private endearment but when uttered in the presence of others they operate with the most nauseating effect fancy a man brimful of the charms of his dulcinea to whom he has given some romantic appellative coming into a tailor's shop among the forty girls there employed of whom his heart's hope is one and asking if his rosebud is present or addressing her as his rosebud if she be there if the girl has any sense she will prove a rosebud with a thorn when she gets him out somewhere we had a friend who was smitten with his mania for pretty names and had adopted the romantic one of my light for his idol and for several years she had lighted his path in his pocket in the way that lovers understand it grew near the period when the word was to be spoken that should make them one flesh when calling at her dwelling one evening he asked the house-girl who met him in the entry if his light was in no said she your light has just gone out with mr naming an old rival jealous pain seized him he rushed to his boarding-house dashed madly upstairs three at a time opened his drawer and seizing a pen wrote a letter that extinguished his light for ever it was a severe blow to his spirit and in six months from the time of its disappointment the poor fellow committed matrimony with another and a more steady light the flame of which burns undimmed even now learning to relish it we were surprised to see mr slow at an opera one evening leaning over the back of his seat we remarked that we had an impression that he didn't like opera music i never did said he till lately but i've been educating for it it can be done talk about nature's having all to do with it that's all humbug nature don't have anything more to do with it than she does with learning us to eat tomatoes nor sardines nor olives but by education we come to like him that's just the way with opry music the first time you don't like it then you get another taste and it's better then you go a little further and it's first rate there's nothing like education nature is well enough in her place but education does the job mr stull looked grave as he uttered this oracular wisdom and his auditors admired phlebotomy a disease do you think people are troubled as much with flea bottomry now doctor as they used to before they discovered the anti-bug bedstead asked mrs partington of the family doctor of the old school who attended upon the family where she was staying phlebotomy madam said the doctor gravely is a remedy not a disease well well replied she no wonder one gets them mixed up there are so many of em we never heard in old times of tonsils in the throat or embargoes in the head or neurology all over us or consternation in the bowels as we do nowadays but it's an ill wind that don't blow nobody no good and the doctors flourish on it like a green base tree but of course they don't have anything to do with it they can't make them come or go the doctor stepped out with a genteel bow and the old lady watched him till his cabriolet had turned the corner her mind revolving the intricate subject of cause and effect hirsute ornaments well said mrs partington as she leaned forward with her hands resting on the window ledge and peered out into the street through a chink in the blinds 
it wasn't a deep well expressive of content or satisfaction but it was an ejaculatory well that found expression at some object which she had witnessed in the street well said she i hope that man is married i declare i do because if he isn't i'm sure he never will be for a dreadfuler looking creature i never did see with them musty chokes on his mouth nobody wouldn't have him i've heard him say that heaven's best gift to man was woman i should say that the next best gift was a razor to such a man as that folks didn't take pride in looking bad in old times she turned thoughtfully to the wall where hung in military rigidity that profile the cherished gem of bygone art the counterfeit presentment of manly grace ah paul sighed the dame you was an ornament of your species and the cheapest among ten thousand or more she emphasized the more as if the contrast was very great indeed between paul and him who had passed but the profile took no notice of what she said its gaze chained to the perpetual straightforwardness looked never to the right or left though at times she said it bore a kinder expression about the mouth but this must have been her fancy which gave to every object she looked upon the hues of her own benignity mrs partington and probate oh what trials a poor widow has to go through sighed mrs partington rocking herself in a melancholy way and holding the morsel of macaboy untasted between her thumb and finger terrible trials and oh what a hardship it is to be executioner to an intestine estate where enviable people are trying every way to overcome the widow's might where it's probate 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 all the time and the more you probe it the worse it seems the poor widow never gets justice for if she gets all she don't get half enough i have had one trial of it and if i ever should marry again if it should so please providence to order it i'll make my husband fabricate his will before he orders his wedding cake i'll take time by the foretop as solomon says you may depend upon it she here revived a little and the subtle powder passed to its destination and reported itself home by an emphatic sneeze extract from a great unwritten poem of one thousand fifty one verses entitled ye constable ye constable from one man took a large and ample fee i'll now take one from ye the other side said ye constable said he domestic purity impugned impugned have you got any rooms to let here ma'am said a little man to mrs partington who occupied half of a house the other half of which was to let and to whom who was entrusted the care of answering the doorbell the rooms were shown they're not large said the little man depreciatingly no sir replied she they're not very ruminous but here are two little bedrooms contagious that perhaps you didn't see he looked in and in a supercilious tone muttered bugs implying want of cleanliness a reflection on the purity of the premises in her charge there is a point as she says where patience ceases to be virtuous and she had found it indignation choked her utterance and the little man fortunately departed before it found vent it was great the way in which she slammed the door to after him and ejaculated bugs till the empty rooms in echoing it seemed full of bugs it was a sublime moral spectacle did it hurt you much well on there did dwell a barber in one of the most populous streets of the city the hues of whose insignia by the street door red and white were typical often of his customers chins as they came under his professional hand 
Suds was a little fellow, but many a huge six-footer did he have, unresisting by the nose, and many a fierce eye quailed beneath the gleam of that blade whose edge so many had keenly felt. It was a sublime spectacle to behold him while enjoying his momentary triumph, his face absolutely shiny between the combined influence of sweat and exultation, his razor, urged by the fervor of his excitation, whirling through seas of snowy lather with the rapidity of thought, his customer, meanwhile, with eyes shut and breath suspended, awaiting tremblingly the blow that should send him forth noseless, a scoff and a reproach among men, though thanks to mighty science such a calamity seldom happened. A farmer, who resided in the vicinity of the city, and supplied the people thereof with fruit, was excessively annoyed by the boys, who would climb upon his wagon and bite his apples, while inquiring the price, and pretending a desire to purchase. He took a big and fearful oath one day, he was a very crabbed man, that the first boy who that day took a bite should likewise take a cut with it. He swore it on his whip. He jogged on undisturbed, the urchin's red whiplash in his demeanor, and judiciously gave him a wide berth. But fate, that generally has to bear the odium of causing all evil, that by many is deemed a sort of subordinate providence, who in conjunction with luck, another genius of the same kidney, takes the destiny of men to work out by the job, pull the reins directly opposite the barber's door. Now, Mrs. Suds had that very day charged Mr. S. to procure some fruit. She did long so to eat an apple and he as he was looking out of his window his last customer having departed was minded of her request as the wagon with its rich and tempting load stopped within the range of his vision he was fond of apples himself and running hastily out he stepped upon the wagon wheel took up an apple and bit it and at the same time inquired the price fatal bite to such fatal as the first bite in paradise was to adam a whistling sound he heard in the air and then the whip stinging with the malignity of the concentrated spite fell quick upon his unguarded shoulders to his deep shame and astonishment and pain jumping down as quick as he could he stood on the pavement and injured an indignant man and fiercely demanded the cause of the outrage the farmer had mistaken him for a boy and profuse of apology endeavoured to appease the little lion of the brush by stating his annoyance by the boys to say nothing of his loss by biters and his determination to put a stop to it by the summary means he had given suds a taste of suds was a reasonable man and admitted that the farmer was nearly right even while he shrugged his shoulders with the remembered pain and they parted on as good terms as the circumstances would admit of unfortunately for the peace of the little man a neighbor who loved to stir up suds had seen the castigation and each day as he came to be shaved would he ask with the tenderest solicitude did it hurt you much always after shaving however for his nose would certainly have been in the way during the agitation the question produced had he asked it before that question so sneeringly asked human nature couldn't stand it patience couldn't stand it suds couldn't stand it and that question was a declaration of war with all who put it to him continual dropping will bear a stone one day suds was splitting wood in the backyard like a dentist working away among the old stumps fretting at the undrivable tenacity with which they held together when sticking his axe into one apparently on the point of yielding he swung it above his head to bring it down upon a block and thus forced the axe effectively through the tough fibres 
the axe with the wood adhering was raised aloft the blow was about to be struck but slipping from the iron the block took another direction and fell heavily upon the hatless pall of the unfortunate barber his wife had seen the whole proceeding from the window and rushed out to ascertain the extent of the damage she anxiously inquired mr suds did it hurt you much to say that fire flashed from his eyes would be inadequate chain lightning alone could typify the glance he gave the solicitous mrs s and a small thunderbolt like a bullet of wood darted upon the wings of a fierce anathema at her devoted head she dodged the missile in a smashed window remained a monument of his passion poor sads he soon removed from that locality and the little shop where he shaved and sheared and suffered is obliterated by the huge granite piles that indicate the progressiveness of commerce fair ma'am how do you do dear said mrs partington smilingly shaking hands with burbank in the dark square omnibus as he held out his five dexter digits towards her fair ma'am said he in reply to her inquiry well i'm sure i am glad of it and how are the folks at home fair ma'am continued he still extending his hand the passengers were interested how'd you like boston screamed she as the omnibus rattled over the stones fair ma'am shouted he without drawing back his hand i want you to pay me for your ride oh murmured she i thought it was someone that knowed me and rummaged down in the bottom of her reticule for a ticket finding at last five copper cents tied up in the corner of her handkerchief the lost war handkerchief with the stars and stripes involved in it and the action of the constitution and guerrier stamped upon it but the smile she had given him at the first was not withdrawn there was no allowance made for mistakes at the counter and he went on with a lighter heart and a heavier pocket to cash the other coach paying promptly if there is any place in this world where i like to ransack business more than another said mrs partington with animation untying from the corner of her handkerchief a sum of money she had just received if there's any place better than another it's a bank there's no dilly-dalliance and beating down and bothering you with a thousand questions till you don't know whether your heels are up or your head is down all you have to do is put your bill on the counter and they pay it without saying a word the old lady had presented a check for a quarter's pension money received an account of paul who in the last war served a fortnight in fortifying boston harbor and got mortar in his eyes which hurt his visionary organs so that he took to glasses memento mori before old roger left boarding at number forty seven he forfeited all regard of the quiet inmates of the house by the perpetration of the following atrocity which was the true reason of his leaving and not the quality of the bread pudding as many believed maury the kilby street clerk got married and moved off it had always been a custom with maury to pile his dishes up in a curious manner after he had used them cups saucers plates in a heterogeneous heap a day or two after his departure from the house old roger was observed piling his cup and saucer and plates in the same manner and he took those of his neighbor to add to the pile the boarders watched him silently in much surprise and one of them a little bolder than the rest ventured to ask him what he was doing that for oh said roger very placidly crowning the pile he had made with the cover of the sugar bowl i'm only erecting a memento mori 
Mr. Bluffkins, the serious man, exhorted the more volatile boarders on the impropriety of laughing at such an outrageously sacrilegious use of a respectable dead language. From that day, Roger had cold shoulder for dinner, and the coldness of the landlady became suddenly manifest in cold potatoes and in the rheumatic condition of his rheumatic, so he left. Mesmerism Do you believe in mesmerism? we asked of mrs partington as she dropped alongside of us yesterday morning like a jolly old seventy-four believe what said she sitting down in the other chair the question involved an answer from us of some fifteen minutes length running through the whole of mesmerism clairvoyance and psychological phenomena like a knitting needle running through a ball of yarn oh yes said she i believe all of that and i know a case in point to prove it when Miss Jeems had her silver-plated spoons extracted, that was her mother's afore her, and she sought a sight by him, she'd come away to Boston to see a misery miser, I believe you call it. Well, he told her just where her spoons was, and who stole him, and all about it, and the color of his hair, and all that. Well, she gin him a dollar, and when she got home, she went right where the spoons was, and couldn't find a thing about him. No, no, that isn't the story, another uh tis about sally sprague and her boat you see at this instant the door opened and company came in and mrs Paddington, pleading an excuse that she wanted to attend one of the adversary meetings subsided like a wave upon the shore a slight mistake mr very green passing by the entrance to a hall where some sable minstrels were exhibiting saw a black fellow coming out through the ark mr wee stopped and looked at him earnestly at which the colored gentleman was rather indignant and demanded what he was looking at nothing particular said mr wee i was just looking to see what a plagny difference there is betwixt you now and last night when you were a-singin in there i wouldn't a believed it, it was the same individual mr wee put his hands in his pocket and walked along considerably true we find it stated in a paper that a well-bred woman, if surprised in a somewhat careless costume, does not try to dodge behind a door to conceal all deficiencies, nor does she turn red and stammer confused excuses. She remains calm and self-possessed, and makes up in dignity what she may want in decoration. This is true. The most sensible woman we ever saw was one who, when her husband took us home on a washing day to look at his new house, never made one word of apology for the confusion that existed, nor once begged us not to look around. Old Bull's Concert Old Bull's Concert, said Mrs. Partington, glancing up from her knitting as she read the announcement of the grand concert on Saturday evening and she smiled as a ridiculous fancy ran through her mind like a grasshopper in a stubble field of an old bull giving a concert and yet it isn't so very wonderful continued she for i remember a cat and a canary that lived together and one or the other of em used to sing beautifully but i wonder what he plays on i suggested that he played on one of his own horns which seemed to be reasonable I am glad he is going to give his concert, because when I went out to hear a great artisan play on a violin, as they called it, though I found out afterwards it was nothing but a fiddle, they were going to charge a dollar till I told them I was one of the connections of the post, and they let me in. I can't think what music an old bull can make, I'm sure. It must be very uproarious, I should think, and better fitted for overtones than for pastoral music.
she closed a critic with a pinch of snuff and got on to her wires again like a telegraphic dispatch and went ahead while ike amused himself by scratching his name with a board nail in magnificent roman capitals upon the newly painted panel of the kitchen door angular saxons i don't know said mrs partington and the expression considered as a mere abstraction was true for there are some that have more of the world's wisdom and a better knowledge of grammar than the dame for the school for her teaching was not one of the letters but let us hear her i don't know said she about these angular saxons being any better than our old-fashioned ones ike had been reading to her an article upon the destiny of the anglo-saxon race and as for the race isaac and her voice fell to a pitch of deep solemnity as she spoke it isn't proper at all for when a funeral goes too quick to say nothing about racing it always is a forerunner sometimes that somebody'll die before the year's out the old saxons were full fast enough naturally and arter the parish gin our saxon the surfeit of plate for his officious services it spruced him right up and it seemed as if it would have pleased him to bury all of em he was so grateful no no we don't want any angler saxons isaac when our own are full good enough ike as she was talking had amused himself with tying the old lady's snuff-box in the corner of his handkerchief and was experimentally swinging it around his head and she seized just as the box released from the knot dashed against the opposite side scattering the pungent powder in plenteous profusion upon the sanded floor of course he didn't mean to do it and that was all that saved him End of section eight.